Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the weekly reading of Tavern Keep. Now, we have chapter one titled The Wine. This is now the present, three years later in the year of 240 after rebirth. Erethor Salstrom, a golden skinned elf, basked in the cool leaf fell air. The rain had hung over his head for hours, and once it had cried its heaviness away, the sky resumed its calm and gray clinging nature. Though he wished for warmer days to come, he had to accept that a harsh winter, or snow rise, was in store instead. In fact, the wind mages of Rockhaven had predicted it would be the harshest winter since the rebirth. He scoffed to himself, never really trusted the wind mages. They spoke of half-truths and often predicted entirely wrong. Their scientists were usually more accurate to a degree, though in the end, most people refused to listen to either. The farmers, on the other hand, had no such deaf ears, simply naive ones. Ready to be home? Arthur asked his horse, Judah. He exhaled out his nose and nodded his head as if he was responding. Arthur chuckled to himself and patted the side of the steed's head, comforting him. He'd been his horse for over five years, and he'd been through thick and thin with him. They'd seen storms of unimaginable size and power, robberies right before their eyes, and even murders and natural deaths, too. But that was the risk of traveling the lands of Hyvac unprotected, of course, not without its purpose. Every month, Arathor and Judah took a trip up to Lighthold to receive goods for his tavern, most importantly of these goods being the fluorescent Dustroom, a special addition to his most popular drink, the Remedy. It sold faster than anything else in his tavern, and the surrounding taverns too. The dust shrooms added a sort of lightheadedness to the drink that many found relaxing. Naturally, the shrooms were only found in the upper hills and mountain ranges of Lighthold, right in their backyards. Many traders were happy to give such an exclusive item to Erethor for a decent price, but he would have to make his own travels there. And considering Erethor wasn't rich enough to hire any sort of help to receive the mushrooms for him, and his assistant Hem wasn't exactly experienced in horseback riding, he was left to his own devices. But he wasn't about to complain, since he'd experienced so much and learned immensely from his travels. He learned how to make a fire with damp kindle, and how to scavenge for edible tree bark and avoid the kind that makes your intestines turn inside out. And of course, he learned the hardest way possible to stare clear of the roads at night in the orange forest. All of this, of course, was left for him to carry out due to his father, who gracefully left the tavern to him and his now deceased sister in exchange for his disappearance. A brutal and exhausting time with the years of his father's disappearance, or rather, the acceptance that he was really gone. Either way, he wasn't about to let his family's tavern fall to pieces, whether his long-since-dead mother liked it or not. You had a good job in the military. You don't need that damn tavern, she'd whine constantly. But of course, Arathor couldn't agree less. He'd almost died more times than he could remember being the king's personal spymaster. It wasn't healthy. A simple tavern with the occasional adventurous traveling was nothing but a major improvement in his eyes. His friend Otis sure seemed to think so too, considering he himself was still in the rat trap. The latest expedition to Lighthold had been particularly strenuous, though. Thanks to his horse injuring his leg after being startled by a ronk that had jumped from a tree. Ironically enough, it had slipped the landing and fell on its neck, dying almost instantly and saving Arthur the trouble. But it had scared him enough to throw him off his back and sprain his leg running straight into a ditch. 
Judah, the thing's dead, you mouse! Arathor had yelled, rubbing the back of his head that had rudely been bounced off the dirt ground in jolting fashion. He had to pull the limping horse back into a small uncharted village they called Homeford, where he was forced to stay for an extra week. During his stay, though, he was surprised to hear panic among the people of Holmford. Before he left, everyone seemed to be tense, and though he hadn't thought much of it, it started to dawn on him as he traveled home. Erethor hurried to the next village closer to him, which happened to be an even smaller village by the name of Darari. "'You, what's going on?' Erethor had called out a priest, a knowledgeable high vixen who told him many current events happening around the village that might be important. The priest was overly talkative, chatting his ear off about this and that, what race caused trouble and what races didn't. His patience grew thin, and eventually Arathor slapped the priest upside the head so hard he nearly fell over. Just tell me what's got everyone so damn freaked out. Arathor raised his hand again. The priest flinched. A nearby city is under attack, the priest winced, as a man on a horse strolled by. May Highvale be with them. He locked his fingers, shaking his scrawny clubbed fist as he closed his eyes in prayer. What? What city? Do you know the name? Arathor pressed. His face had gone from blank curiosity to panic. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know, child, the priest said with sincerity, bowing in respect to him and began to pray. But he wasn't interested in his religious babble. He already knew what he believed. Arathor shrugged the suspicion off at first, but as he got increasingly closer to Tavern Keep, the pit in his stomach began to grow without much justifiable reason. Regardless, his worry came to climactic end as he approached the walls of Tavern Keep. The gates seemed unscorched, unbroken, and unburdened. They must be fine, he thought to himself, yet hastily he approached the gates, the thick surrounding forest being a trademark of Tavern Keep's history. Its interesting geographical location was marked as smart and yet inexplicably curious. Though anyone living inside would tell you the forest made them feel safe as if it acted as several miles of coverage and protection from the horrors of the world. The gates were large, just tall enough to look over the trees of the forest. At the top, several guards stood attentive, looking down at Arathor with a skeptical eye. Arathor only knew one of them, Uthir Rune, who recognized him almost immediately. Arathor! Dear Highvale, are you safe? Uthir shouted down at him, leaning against the stone ledge, dipping over the edge. Of course, why wouldn't I be? Arathor's worry began to spike again, the nervous knot in his stomach tightening. Uther shook his head, palming his face and wiping the sweat dripping down his stuffy helmet. Tavern Keep was attacked whilst you were gone. Arathor, it was bad. Uther said with regret in his voice, signaling for the guards to get the gates open. The gates slowly opened and Arathor invited himself inside. By the time he'd reached the stables near the entrance, Uther had made its way down to meet him. Erethor's mind was racing, but again the thought came back that it must be okay, because at the very least the walls remained intact. As Erethor situated Judah at the hitching post, Uther stepped into the stables quietly to not startle the resting horses. The stable was only for the use of travelers going in and out temporarily, though Erethor was so well known for his travels that Judah found a permanent home in the stall in the far back. He wondered why he still got strange glances from the guardsmen. How bad was it? Erethor asked, not looking up from tying the harness to the hitch post. Uther's feet crunched under the sticks and dry leaves drafted inside the stable. It hadn't occurred to him just how little the place was clean, despite going in and out, often to greet travelers. Uther ignored the uncleanliness, leaning against one of the open stalls. 
It was bandits. Ruiners of more, they called themselves. We figured that out after Heathgrim had a mass execution of a dozen or so of them in the town square. Luckily, it was much worse for them than us. Uther ran his teeth over his lip, remembering the four-hour period in which the attack took place. So, everyone's okay? Arathor took his satchel from off Judah's back, swinging it around his shoulder. He opened the satchel to look at the dust rooms he traveled so far for, and luckily, they were intact and undamaged from the previous days of rain. Twenty or so civilians perished, but forty of the bandits joined them, Uther said with almost a grin. And the other bandits? Arathor could recall many run-ins with bandits himself. Luckily, his military training kept his head on his shoulders, though they weren't what they used to be. We kept one, probably in the king's dungeon being branded like a cattle. Uther knew better than anyone else that wasn't true. Maybe he wasn't as close to the king as Heathgrim, the guard captain, but he was pretty damn close. <laughs> not our king. Of course not, but he is most certainly wringing information out of him like a wet rag. Uther opened and shut the door of the stall, fidgeting seamlessly. <laughs> Don't know what they do to them down there, but they always, always break, he said his eyes propped open wide at the thought of what might be going on down in those dungeons. His business mostly relied on him being up and around the gates, never escorting anyone down to the dungeon. But if I were you, I'd be checking on your tavern there. I don't entirely trust Mr. Henson to be all on his own, Uther said with a cocky smile. I wish I could disagree, but you're right. I best be off. Stay safe, Uther. And with that, they both salute two fingers to their temple and a downward swipe. Then he was off. Arathor took the shortest route possible, the city being largely seven huge roads, one road straight down the center from the gates leading to the town square, then further back being the castle. To the left and right were both three roads that go in arches around the entire town, all looping back to the main center road. The inner arches are the smallest road, the furthest back being the longest that scraped along the walls of the city. Facing the castle, once inside the gates, is pointing east, the left side being known as the north path and the right being known as the south. The wine being in the second arc of the south path. Arathor also lived on the upper floor of this tavern. Of course, alleyways connected each of the arches together, and Arathor had found the most efficient way to get to arch to arch and path to path to get past the busyness. Most of the business was in the town square, of course, which is really a circle with a large fountain in the center. The architecture and geographical location was enough to bring in many travelers, and its founding history and compassion towards elders. In the moment, Arathor had allowed his mind to wander far too much and couldn't focus, almost stepping on a gnome running between his legs as he walked down the south path. It scurried away while muttering in some gnomish language, probably cursing at the large elf. Arathor, welcome back. See any monsters, lad? A regular of the wine, Furman Trang, said with much enthusiasm, clearly having just stepped out of his tavern. He can tell Hem was dishing out more ale than he was supposed to based on Furman's condition. Hem was reliable for the most part, but he also had a hard time saying no to a customer who clearly had too much to drink. Whether it was for money or for lack of social awareness was beyond Arathor, but regardless, he had to remind him often that if a customer was drooling on the bar, he most likely should take a hike. Naturally. Now get home safe, 
Arathor returned playfully, giving him a nod of respect as he turned the corner through the alleys, entering the second arc of the South Path, which was home to the street Bright Rock, which was named after a city that one of the founders of Tavernkeep had built not long after Tavernkeep's founding. Bright Rock was home for Arathor, lanterns running up and down the streets, little to no room between the wooden and stone buildings, flower pots and banners strung overhead from poles connected to the houses, oftentimes leading to wet clothing being hung off them. Even as the sun was setting, and only the orange flickering flames from the lanterns lit the streets, it flourished with life. All different races and species running up and down the elegant stone street, carriages bumping around and livestock crossing the street unattended. And right in the midst of it, the wine. The commune spot for all of Tavernkeep, and most importantly for Bright Rock. There wasn't a soul in Bright Rock that Arathor didn't know, and he made it his job to know everybody, and everything about them. People like to feel as though they belong, as though they are seen, Arathor always said, as a tip to his good friend and partner Hem, who would look up at him in amazement and nod, not a single thought behind those droopy brown eyes. After dodging a few loose chickens and catching up with a few Bright Rock folk, he finally reached the door of his beloved tavern, a wooden sign hanging on two chains that proudly exclaimed, The Wine in bold fancy font. His father had gotten it done by an excellent carpenter from Hyvengard, costing him a ghastly amount of coin. But professionalism was all his father had cared about. Most people viewed him in his tavern was more important to him. Sometimes it seemed more important to him than his own children. Naturally, those thoughts clattered around in his head as he looked up at the sign, but they didn't last long as the strong scent of ale and sizzling veal wafted through the cracks of the door. Arathor always got a tingling feeling of excitement when he got back home through the sounds of cheering and community from within his tavern. Nothing made him feel more accomplished than knowing he had made a place for people to connect, even if for just a short while. Luckily for Arathor, he'd entered just in time to see Hem standing on the bar with his chorus drum in hand, an instrument with strings in a hollow center, making a twangy and unique sound. It was made from the hair of cores, which was tough and strong, and when compressed into strings were nearly unbreakable. This was great for him, who loved to slam on the strings violently and drunkenly and sing out a song of the great Thidi clasp. It was a song that Arathor was used to hearing, but now was a gurgled and incomprehensible mess thanks to his partner's intoxication. Arathor should have been mad, but... He was in a good mood, and wasn't going to try and ruin Hems, who clearly was enjoying himself. It did strike him as odd, though, that no one in the room seemed all too bothered by the previous day's attack. But, though it wasn't much of a hit to the city, he at least thought they would have been a bit more tense. Perhaps that was why the tavern was so busy, and everyone was trying to drown the fear in ale. Hem, you bastard! What did I tell you about getting drunk on the job? Arathor shouted with a playful smile over the loud crowd of patrons, all guzzling their ale down in excitement as Hem whipped them into a frenzy. The song spoke of inspiration and hope, and it was exactly what the people needed to hear at the moment. Hem's face lit up like a greased torch to a dry bush. He threw the chorus drum into the crowd and left off the bar, landing into the arms of his good pal. Arathor caught him and sat him on top of a table. Though he was short, he was certainly agile. Arathor, I surely thought you had perished in the pits of Rarim. Hem said with his hands thrown into the air in exaggeration. Rawrim was certainly not a place Arathor wanted to find himself. A large, ever-stretching field of lotus-root-looking deep pits of blackness, the ground made up of a chalky gray sand with the occasional dune that burned like fire when the wind blew it onto your skin. 
Somehow, someway, creatures found a way to live in the Helllands, as they were more commonly called. Creatures of unexplainable origin, and even more unexplainable horrors, extra limbs and twisted features, a place of nightmares and made-up tales. I've been to the Helllands, and not as bad as many say. I stormed my way across for a wench and brought her back with me. A customer, Joro Lorema, said with an obnoxious laugh, slamming on the table so hard everyone's drinks spun like tops. You couldn't get a wench if she was waving a dress in your face, his friend said, slapping his back. Joro bursted out into even harder laughter and was surprisingly being a good sport despite his friend's obvious jab. Arathor couldn't help but crack a smile at his expense, covering his mouth with a bald fist. No, of course not, Hem, though I did run into a little trouble. Arathor said, finally getting himself behind the bar where many customers had been waiting for his arrival. Hem scurried behind, jumping over the bar and beginning to take orders behind him. It felt right, being home, since he'd overextended his stay at home for it. It was nice being away from home, but knowing it had been violated while he was gone wasn't sitting right with him. It felt like a spider was crawling around in his brain, and whenever he started to forget, it bit him back in remembrance. What kind of trouble? Bongle trouble? Bandit trouble? Hem said eagerly, washing a mug with one hand while preparing a drink with the other. Hem was good at multitasking, but usually it meant that one thing wasn't being as well done as the other, leaving things slightly lopsided. Close. It was a ronk. Scared the hell out of poor Judah. Hurt himself running away. Left you floating in the air, I presume. Ah, damn buggers. Hem said with a chuckle, throwing out drinks to a dwarf on his tippy toes, looking over the counter, waving a big bag of coins in his snout. Ha, <laughs> you'd be right. You know Judah, he's touchy. I don't blame him, of course. The thing about gave me a heart attack myself. Luckily, it killed itself trying to get to me. Erethor rolled his eyes as he remembered the comical slap of the rock hitting the ground as it attempted to ambush him from above. Once Erethor had hit the ground, too, he'd shot up and unsheathed his sword, panting like a dog in the summer heat. But he laughed and let his body sprawl out on the dirt path as he saw the mangled body twitching gruesomely on the ground. What a mess, he thought to himself. Rightfully so. I'll tell you what. The king ought to do something about those damn maggots. They're getting crafty, you know. Saw one of them getting a stick as a tool. He was, he was chopping away at a tree. Killian Moore said, his eyes widening at the retelling. There is no way in hell one of those bongo-brained twats was using a stick as a tool. Another customer, Anor Frine, said, pointing her mug at Killian. I'll tell you what. I got myself a permit and am making good coin ranking those things in. The numbskulls practically set the traps and waltz into them themselves, she said, roaring into a laughter alongside Killian. That almost seems a little too easy of money, Arathor said with a grin, pulling out the large bag of dust shrooms, placing them in a compartment for them to dry for a few days before really using them. If he had used them too soon, the condensation of the bag would dilute the flavor, not to mention it had rained on him. Oh, you could say that, but every once in a while one of them will get the drop on you and tear you up a little. Whenever that happens, I usually ruin the kill. You know, make the hide unusable if you know what I'm aiming at. She blinked her tired eyes as she flashed to a time when one of them scratched her face and she ripped it apart so bad the next traveler to have found it marked it as a bear sighting and warned the gate guards. An official warning had gone out to Tavern Keep to keep their eyes open for a bear, and only Anor knew what really was. She was sort of proud of herself in a sick way, and though there was many issues with Anor, her tendency to lose her temper was somehow low on the list. Anyways, Arathor said, crushing a pepper into a makeshift grinder. 
I was held up in a small village of Holmford for a week. That's why I was gone longer than usual. I trust there was no real issues while I was away, Arathor said, looking over to Hem, who was still barely listening as he had jumped back and forth in the crowd back to the station of the bar. Beside a group of bandits attacking us, no, not really. You know you can trust me by now, don't you? Hem winks, and Arathor couldn't help but feel a tad bit offended. Was he not showing that he trusted him? Perhaps he was too hard on the kid, maybe even a bit rude. But the sly look on his face made him realize that his partner was only teasing. Of course, I trust you, Hem, and only you, Arathor said confidently. It was true. He really would not have any other person be behind the helm of his tavern. Speaking of which, where were you during this attack? Well, I was here, of course. One of them was even in here. But he was quickly subdued by many drunken customers outraged by the sight of the outbreak. It took me a moment to understand what was happening, but... At first, I thought it was just one crazy drunken member, but as I heard the rumble outside, I went to have a look and saw people running up and down Bright Rock. Then, a man came running down the street, sword overhead, and laid waste to some poor lady on the street. I mean, he paused for a moment, clearly distressed as he thought about the event. His eyes drifted over the crowd, undisturbed by his story. He seemed to find some sort of peace, knowing that everyone was fine, and resumed. I, I mean... I just froze, Erethor. I, I watched her be slain. I couldn't do a thing. The man locked eyes with me and he pointed his sword, but before he could take another step, your good friend Otis emerged from the shadows and split his head like a log. He fell like a bag of weights thrown into the ocean, and Otis rushed to my side. He told me to get back inside and lock everyone inside the tavern with me. I asked him what was happening, and he only told me they were everywhere, and that I had to stay hidden and protect the tavern goers. Naturally, I obeyed, and I stayed inside until the guards came to let us know that the danger was gone. So I... I would ask Otis for some more insight if I were you. Hem shrugged, shaking away the ill-feeling remorse and guilt. Arathor laid a hand on his shoulder in comfort. You did the right thing. You kept the tavern and its people safe, Arathor said sincerely. Thanks, lad. Hem gave him a weak smile, not looking up from fidgeting with his mug. Arathor understood. Crouching down and getting to Hem's level... He turned him towards him with his hands on his shoulders. I remember what it was like watching someone die in front of me for the first time. I felt helpless and bound by fear. It's not something to be ashamed of, but something to overcome. Fear is a weapon more sharp than any blade. Arathor hoped that his words were not falling on deaf ears and could only wish that Hem wouldn't be too hard on himself. But knowing the way he felt when he was first in Hem's position, he knew it was most likely not going to be easy for him, especially considering Hem didn't go through intensive military training like Arathor had many years ago. How did you forget about it? How did you move on? Hem said, finally looking him in the eyes. The tavern had calmed and allowed them to speak freely in the moment, which Arathor had spiritually thanked them for. I didn't. You don't learn to forget, you just learn to forgive yourself, Arathor said, with pure honesty. The last thing he ever did was lie. No matter the cost of his confession, he knew it would make him no better than anyone else. And after years of his life being lying behind enemy lines, he had to change, for himself and for anyone else. Of course, it can never be easy, can it? Hem said. More a statement than a question. Arathor grins, messing his hair up and pushing him back towards the bar. Never. The evening dipped into night, 
and the crowd slowly but surely dissipated. People went home to their wife and kids, Anor to her home of empty halls, and Killian to his mother. So Arathor closed the tavern and gave him his weekly pay, since he'd been long overdue, and waved them goodbye as he walked down Bright Rock towards his home not too far away. He cleaned the tavern, sweeping till the floor was shiny and washing the tables they were speckless. He blew out every candle, put out every torch, and stumbled upstairs. He allowed his mind to wander astray whilst laying in bed. He thought about what he would have done if he had been here during the attack. Perhaps he could have helped people, or perhaps it had been so long that he'd been in a real fight that he wouldn't have known what to do. He fears the latter and closed his eyes. The terrible pit in his stomach faded, and so did his mind as he drifted to sleep. The morning was bright, and he awoke to the smell of eggs and smoking meat. Stretching his limbs and cracking his fingers, he stood from his bed. Dressing himself appropriately, he stepped downstairs, surprised to see that Hem had opened the tavern early. And though they hadn't started selling ale yet, the morning feast were quickly being dished out to hungry customers. "'You think you can handle this? I got some errands,' Arathor said, leaning over the bar to watch Hem chop the scrambled eggs into tiny bits, sprinkling salt and a special spice on top. Hem looked up, giving him a cheeky thumbs up. "'Of course!' I got you, boss. His mood had noticeably improved from last night. Whether it was a facade or not was not for Arathor to figure out in the moment. As far as he cared, it was a good start. Glad to hear it. I won't be long. Enjoy, everyone, Arathor called out to the customers, who all grumbled different things in their groggy morning voices. He nodded, satisfied at the response, and walked out the door of the tavern. The streets were buzzing already. Everyone seemed to have a goal in mind, and were dead set on it. He dipped and dodged between hustling civilians as they spread out among the busy street. It didn't help that the distance between the fronts of the buildings weren't very large, maybe thirty feet or so. Despite the loudness of the morning, he was too determined to get where he was going, Otis's house. He wanted another perspective of the attack. As much as he trusted Hem's word, he didn't have much to go off in terms of details, and it was eating at him alive not knowing every bit of information about the city's assault. Otis left on the west path on the third arc. Arathor often teased him that Otis just had to choose the furthest house possible from his own, to which Otis would say, It was to get away from you, you bongle. But he didn't mean it, or so Arathor had convinced himself. But that was the kind of relationship they had. Having grown up together, they were more brothers than anything. Brothers in war and all. Best keep away from the center, probably more from lurking around, an older lady said as Arathor passed her grabbing his arm and bringing him to a halt in fear of dragging her to the ground. He looked at her with worry. Her eyes were gray, her vision was stunted, and she clearly wasn't in her right mind. They're all gone now. You don't have to worry. He laid a worried hand on her shoulder. She seemed to calm down, releasing her grip, nodding nonsensically as she waddled away into the crowd of people. He stood for a moment, confused and concerned, but shook it away, continuing past the major road into the west path. He entered Furthrin, the first Ark's road. It was mostly a shopping division with several tailors and blacksmiths. Competition was fierce. Each shop had a worker outside shouting prices and their specialties at passerbys, trying to sell their company over the others. Occasionally, the workers would get in fights because they'd yell over the other one too loudly, often ending in a guard coming in and beating them both into submission. Though the guards weren't cruel most times, and usually very understanding, they had no tolerance for public disturbances. New shipments! We're talking motorodium! 
polished and shine. A milky white chestplate, helmet or codpiece, it's up to you. One of the workers shouted at Arathor as he walked by the copper blacksmithing co. KBC was easily the most popular blacksmith in Tavernkeep, but in Arathor's humble opinion, for the wrong reason. They were fast, orders being done within hours, but the quality was lacking, and especially the style. But they had precious metals that other companies couldn't seem to get their hands on. So naturally, they were the torch, and the customers were the naive moths fluttering towards them blindly, and they most certainly would get burned. What a shame. Such good metal could make beautiful sets of armor. Arathor thought to himself, almost every time he walked by, trying his best not to make eye contact with the worker who would lock onto you if you showed the slightest bit of interest. He cut past a group of rudely tempered tiflings and slipped into an alley, running underneath hanging wires of clothing and drying blankets. He swatted bloat flies from his face and stepped around garbage, holding his breath until he eventually popped out into the second arch, which was strictly a living division much like Bright Rock, with the exception of his tavern. The road was called Copper's Deep, and was no different than Bright Rock other than it felt much more emotionless to Arathor. Nothing about it felt very special to him. No banners or hanging flower pots, and most importantly, no tavern. The cost of living was no less than Bright Rock, and in the end, it really just came down to tradition. People who lived in Copper's Deep had their kids there, and their kids would take the house, and the cycle would repeat. No one ever really moved, and thus created a community that seemed unobtainable by other cities. Erethor, been a good while. How's the tavern doing? An old friend, Odie Grain, said. He sat outside on his front porch on an old wooden chair. He had known him since he was a child, and it hurt watching him grow old while he stayed the same. The people walked past him like he wasn't there. And much like the old lady, his eyes were silverish-gray, withering away with time. He approached the old man, getting down on one knee and cupping his hand on his own. You can still sense me, old man, I'm surprised. Arathor tried to be light-hearted, Odie giving him a toothy smile in return. You elders all the same. Don't underestimate me. Odie teased back. He bumps Arathor in the shoulder playfully. I could never, Odie. And thanks for asking, the tavern's doing great. You have to come by soon. I just got some of those dust rooms you love so much. Arathor looked at the old man, who was staring straight ahead. Arathor knew damn well that he couldn't see him, but if he could, he was just a colorful blur. Oh, I'll try. It isn't easy getting down there anymore, Odie said, somehow still smiling. Arathor choked on his next few words, trying hard not to let his voice crack and show his emotion. But he could sense that Odie knew, and was just being kind enough not to note it. Well, he had to pause for a moment, patting his hand gently. I'd love to see you down there. He forced a smile, and said his farewells, crossing the street and making his way to the third arc, where his friend Otis would surely be waiting for him. The third arc, or Iron Lane, was a solid mix of living and shop division. For every three or so houses was a shop. Mostly simple marts for food and basic materials like wood and cloth and, of course, furs. Otis's home was in the far back. The back of his house kissed the walls of Tavern Keep. There wasn't an inch of space between the walls, and no matter how much Arathor insisted it was suffocating, Otis didn't seem to mind, and neither did his wife and child. Finally, he arrived at the house. He knocked, not too loudly, though, as it was still morning and he didn't want to disturb his neighbors. For whatever reason, the streets of Iron Lane was never very busy in the morning. People took their time getting up, and the shops even opened up much later than the rest of Tavern Keep. It took a moment, but eventually the door swung open. 
It was a half-and-half half chance, and yet he was surprised to see that his wife had answered instead of Otis. Gloria Holt stood with her baby in hand, her brunette hair complimenting her delicate crystalline blue eyes. She was surely a beauty, and he often envied Otis for finding a woman with such looks paired with such soul. Her smile sparked flutters in his stomach, and for a moment he forgot what he was there for. "'Are you looking for Otis, dear?' she said, blinking slowly. "'Uh,' he looked past her into the house, seeing Otis across the room tightening his military armor straps. "'Ah, uh, yes, actually. I was wondering if he had time to talk.' He felt like a kid asking his friend's mother for permission to play with her son, and in fact, that was exactly how it was for them years before. "'Of course, come on in,' she said, moving aside. He gave her a nod of thankfulness and invited himself inside. The house was warm and welcoming. The walls were covered in fur coats and even stuffed heads of animals he'd slain. One wall was dedicated to his medals he'd earned from his many years of the military. Otis looked up from his tightening his greaves. Much like Hem had, his face sparked with life and excitement at the sight of his friend. He let go of his leg, the weight slamming into the ground with a jarring clap. "'Brother, where have you been?' Otis embraces Arathor, squeezing him hard and lifting him to the air with his brutish strength. He laughs, coughing as the air is forced out of him at an alarming rate. Dear gods, he managed to squeak out before he finally let go and let the deflated Arathor flop to under the wooden chair behind him. He takes a deep breath in, chuckling as he recuperated from the attack. It's a long story, but I'm home now. Arathor slid up in his chair, which had been crafted by the same carpenter from Hyvengard, only much more recently. But I wanted to ask you about the attack. I wanted to hear your side of the tale. Right. Otis looked over at his wife, who was laying the baby down in a cradle he'd built with his own hands. Something he wanted to do himself rather than some fancy carpenter. She slowly rocked the baby to sleep, which seemed to calm him down. So then he coughed, straightening his voice. Well, I was already in the town square when it happened. I happened to be off duty. But it was more complicated than just a frontal attack. They were already in the gates. Otis cleared his throat, pausing for a moment. He could read the look of confusion on Arathor's face and continued. It seems they had trickled in over the span of a few months, posing as travelers, traders and priests of sorts. Once they had what they believed to be a sufficient amount of manpower, they acclimated and devised some sort of plan. They spread out in pairs of two, some alone, and then the attack began. Since they were everywhere, everyone assumed that the attack was just whatever crazy bastard was right in front of them. They didn't think it was this whole thing. He looked at Arathor's reaction, but his face remained motionless, too intrigued and invested to add any additional confirmation that he was listening. Anyways, it didn't take long for people to realize what was happening, and it spun everyone into a fit of madness. The number of attacks became alarming to the point where it was obvious it was some sort of larger assault. The king quickly dispatched soldiers, and the fight didn't last very long. I managed to... He looked over at his wife, who was looking back at him with a sour face, displeased by the violence, to take out a few of them myself, but Heathgrim did a good job at getting the soldiers where they needed to be. Otis finished, taking a sip of water from a pitcher on the small table next to them. He offered some to Arathor, who promptly took a long swig himself, wiping his lips before thinking of a proper response. I guess I'm just glad it wasn't as bad as it could have been, Arathor said, fidgeting with the arm of the chair which was smooth after many hours of sanding. We could have used you. It would have really been a great help, Otis said, his fingers locked and his eyes deep in thought. I don't think I would have survived. I haven't fought in a really, I mean, really long time. 
Erethor's thoughts divided as he recalled his last ever mission as the personal spy of the king. King Oriath had called upon Erethor to do something that would stick to him for the rest of his life. He had asked for him to break into the Ryerwood's fortress, Fort Mont, to obtain a map of secret trade routes in the sea between Hyvac and Rithnalia, the Kyra Sea. King Oriath had nothing against Ryerwood, but they weren't willing to give the routes away, and the king knew for a fact that it was used to smuggle Typhling slaves between countries. Erethor had done what he was asked, and spent weeks learning every corridor, every bedroom, every kitchen and bathing room for the fortress. After that, he had to get himself a servant disguised by following one to their home and stealing their uniform. Once he was inside, it was easy from there. Some close calls and bumps in later, and he had the map in hand and was on his way back to Cavern Keep, to which the king raided the trade routes and saved many typhling lives. After his success, he did as Erethor requested and resigned him as the spymaster, and though he was displeasured, he understood he wanted to focus on the tavern since his father disappeared without a trace. Nonsense. You used to be an excellent fighter, Otis said, recalling the many times they'd been assigned missions together. They had shed blood together, fought in wars together, and watched their men die in front of them together. They had been through everything, and though it was horrible and would have kept them up at nights, they did that together too. You're right. I used to be a good fighter. I'm afraid I've lost my touch without my training. This tavern has worn me weak. Erethor loved his tavern more than anything in the world. It was his pride and joy, and though he had made much less with it than he did as a spymaster, it was what he wanted to do and what he wanted to be. But he couldn't deny it had weakened him mentally, gnawing his brain and numbing his combat skills. To avoid this, when he first started focusing on the tavern, he'd spar often with a partner to keep intact with his skills, but over time it slowly faded away and he fell accustomed to the life of comfortability and normality. You just need a little practice is all. Tell you what, after my watch, we go outside the walls for a little sparring. Sounds good, huh? Otis suggested, reaching his hand over the table for a shake. Arathor had to think for a moment. Did he want his skill back? Did he want to be reminded of what he could do with his hands? What he'd done with his hands? A blink of his eye revealed a wall of faces. Faces he'd remembered... Faces he'd taken the lives of. For those faces flickered away in walls of flames that over-encumbered them. They all deserved what they got. Never once did he kill a man of innocence, and he made sure of it. Murderers and rapists all fell victim to his blade. And never did an innocent soul taste the bitter sting of his righteous sword. Okay. Sounds good. He said with a smile. Accepting the handshake. And sealing the deal with certainty. If there was ever a time to reconnect with the art of the blade... It was after an attack on his home. An attack on his home was an attack on him. An attack he'd never forget. Wow, yeah. Chapter 1 is almost 40 minutes long. And, fun fact, uh, it was about a third longer. Um, I had a really hard time with figuring out pacing the beginning. Because I just, just that's how it is. Um, I've, I promise... Really, only the first couple chapters are this obnoxiously long, and then chapters kind of get shorter. Uh, but I kind of treated every chapter as like a whole arc, which I shouldn't have done. Because um, I, I I don't know. I, I personally like longer chapters in books. Um, and so that kind of 
went into my work here, but I, I do kind of learn that maybe like 20 to 30 pages per chapter is not the greatest thing. It's probably even more when it's actually on print. So I might even split that into two pieces. I just don't really know where I would do that. Uh, but yeah, so that was chapter one. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I will see you in the next one, chapter two.